Welcome to Eterna. Keep your dice rolling, your friends close, your monsters closer, and don't let the old gods bite. This podcast is an Eldritch Dream Games production. A dark fantasy Pathfinder game laced deep with cosmic horror. I would like to thank the patrons that make this possible. Brian Bridges, Brian Rafe, Donald Bewley, Eric S. Pat, Robin Mims, Tim Demuse, Thomas Wayne Haley, Undead Fish, and Wesley Sullivan. Stay tuned after our tale to hear what these glorious people have in the works. But for now, let us listen. So everybody goes to sleep their way, however. And so we will be starting with Brock. Brock, you enter a very strange dream. Everything is dark, and you feel unable to move, but you don't feel uncomfortable. Feels quite comfortable, in fact. You feel at one with the earth. You feel at one with your surroundings, which you believe is the earth. And then you reach out, the ground trembling slightly. And you can see, as if with your tremor sense, you see a place that, after a moment, you realize is familiar. The shrine that your town is built around, the cave deep within the tunnel. You're there, and there are these echoing pulses coming back. You can see people moving around. There's a deep, low, kind of bassy hum that's intermittent focusing for a few more moments you begin to hear voices vibrating through the stone after a few moments you realize perhaps your father or your family is nearby and you go to check on them his aunt is at his bedside your father reclined in the bed itself bundled by soft cloth, a rag on his forehead. There aren't many words being spoken, but periodically he coughs heavily. In the room outside, you hear your grandfather, who is quite old at this point, and your one of your cousins. They're speaking in hushed tones about your father's illness, how Even the blessings of Torag have not cured him of it. You hear them speak about the Keepers, a term you're not familiar with. Searching around within the town for any more speech about, but you look around the town, seeking out more conversations, perhaps referring to these Keepers. You find a few individuals who are adorned in heavy metal armor, something that your people don't wear, though there's some resemblance to your people. Dwarves, as you move outward, a terrible understanding begins to set in. There are fortifications 
made of stone and iron and duragar. Not a huge amount of them, but it's obvious that they are now in keeping of this place. Is there anything you would like to focus on specifically during this time? Yeah, so is it... So you're saying like like he's sensing this more like through his tremor sense. So is it feeling more like a dream or like a vision? More like a vision. Like you're aware that this that you have to be asleep. You're nowhere near this place, but you feel like you are somewhere near the altar to the mountain as if you were deep within the stone there. Uh, I mean, more than anything, he'd probably be focusing focusing on the condition of his father, maybe trying to find some of the other elders in the village to see if, you know, they're talking about what's going on or anything like that. But, uh, I mean, he'd he'd really be focused on, uh, like, just trying to figure out what the situation is with his dad. Something has happened with him, and it would seem that the people of your village, even those dedicated to Torag and his worship, are unable to cure him. Something in his lungs. And you hear mention of him coughing up blood and how the amount of time he has left is unsure. And that the keepers will offer no aid nor will they let anyone leave to gather more medicines or seek out healers from other areas. And these keepers are the Duragar in the armor? Listening around some more, you are able to gather that. And the Duragar, much like the Drow, are a conquering people. They are perhaps the less cruel of the two but it is no better to have them above you. You would probably take notice that there are no longer any symbols of Torag left in the village. Save for a few that have been hidden away, tucked behind furniture and under beds. Uh, If he tries to use any of his abilities, do they seem to work? Like, can he move anything? Uh... It feels as if you are too far away. <laughs> and it feels more like the tremor sense that you're using is less your own and more like something feeding it into you. Like a source somewhere near the altar. Uh, then in that case, he would try and find that to try and see like what's causing him to see these things. It's pretty much where you're at. You're not entirely sure. It seems to be the scent center of what you're sensing where it feels like you are and there's like just nothing necessarily there that seems to be like calling out time or anything it's just where this is emanating it feels familiar it feels like it should be a part of you but that that's all you can really tell okay um in that case uh probably try and force himself awake All right, so then uh, if if you're forcing yourself awake, uh, we will move on to someone else. Okay. 
so then I'll, I'll go ahead and go with Chris uh, for now. Chris Riley lays down and goes to sleep. At first, he has some very fitful dreams. He They seem to be normal at first and going about everyday things. And then there's a sudden sound of disturbance, a loud crash, somebody screaming. It varies from dream to dream. But when you go to investigate, there's a set of armor bulking in its size with a pair of dark red eyes behind the faceplate. A huge great sword held aloft, covered in blood, that turns to you. And every time just before it causes you to wake back up for a moment, it feels like a fight. It reminds you of your father. Something about it reminds you of him. But then the sword comes down, and every time, for whatever reason, you're not strong enough to stop it. But that is not the important dream. After a few of these, you finally fall into a more restful sleep. And you find yourself in Solaria, back in your old home, waking up in your old room. The smell of breakfast coming from downstairs in the small house. This one's going to be a little more, uh, what do you do? So you're waking up, you're in your bed. Okay. You don't feel younger. You feel like you are now. Um, is this one of those things where like the, the dream state kind of like readily, I buy into it or readily buys into it readily, or does he like still remember everything? <laughs> you, you, know? re- you remember everything and like you're, you're aware that this is a dream of some kind. Okay. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah. So, um, he, he takes a moment just to like, I guess like sit up in bed, look around the room, um, just like verifying that, you know, it's home. And then, um, he probably thinks to himself, you know, is, is that mom's lemon pepper pancakes I'm smelling? (laughs) (laughs) And he'll steadily get up and, uh, maybe like run his hand across a, uh, countertop with a few books on top of it, you know, from when he was younger and living at home. And, uh, steadily make his way downstairs so you make your way downstairs and i feel like you kind of expect to find your mother in the kitchen cooking yes the sight you see is not unlike that but it is not your mother but rather victoria she doesn't seem to have noticed that you've come downstairs but there's lemon pepper pancakes and lemon pepper bacon even lemon pepper orange juice and lemon pepper milk yeah lemon pepper orange juice no the milk is better the milk is better (laughs) and there so there's lemon pepper milk too fucking lemon pepper this is the running joke somehow (laughs) this is it this is what sticks as long as we're away from the rare rat rat thing Um, so yeah uh, Riley will definitely walk into the kitchen and be surprised that you know it's not his mom. He had the, the context of the dream state all wrong in his head. And um, he uh, smiles a little bit just at the familiar sight of Victoria and definitely starts buying into the, the dream a bit more at this point because it's easy, because it's comfortable. And he just says, um, I didn't know you could uh, make lemon pepper pancakes. They smell just like my mom's. Did you find her recipe? 
As you told it to me. Remember? Did I? He'll just like steadily, uh, uh, he's, uh, so as he crosses the room over, he'll say, um, why don't you, uh, help my addled mind and tell me when? When we were younger, you came over and you said that you were in a good mood because of them. And I asked you how could lemon pepper and pancakes possibly be all that good. They don't seem to match up. And you told me what she did with them and how she made it work. And I thought that I'd use this opportunity to try it out. Though I don't don't suppose that it makes a huge amount of difference. I don't think cooking here works quite right. So the whole time he uh, like he has his hand on her shoulder as she's telling the story and he's like staring at her in the eyes and smiling. And uh, he just nods and says, yes, I remember. I just like hearing you tell me stories and um with a a soft chuckle he'll uh draw her in for a uh deeply passionate manly kiss eventually eventually uh you lean back and she uh flips a pancake onto a plate puts a couple of strips of bacon and gives you your milk (laughs) great (laughs) <laughs> yeah um he just says it smells perfect though the the lemon pepper milk victoria it was a joke <laughs> i didn't think you'd take me seriously like i said things don't necessarily work right here and i wanted to see you while we have time what do you mean they don't work right here it's a dream it's two dreams in one I can't make them both work. (laughs) Uh, He goes to like talk a couple of times and falls short before uh, collecting himself and saying, um, I suppose I just wanted to enjoy not really thinking about it too much for a time, but how long do we have? It's a good question. I suppose time's weird too. Yeah. That would make sense. I think we should enjoy what we have here. I'm all right. How about you? Yes, for the most part. Um, there are strange ongoings, and I fear how much they've afflicted me. But I'm still me, as far as I can tell. And um, my companions are keeping me in good order. So, although the night is dark and extremely long, I do try to focus on the brightness in the world still. That's good. And Victoria, you, how have your travels fared? Hmm. There's a lot going on here. The cities have broken. Solaria is in a state of turmoil. The outer ridges out by the desert they're horrible here closer to the center and the shores it's people that are the problem the world has ended so say a whole bunch of people and we should prepare for it there's a lot to sort through yes and all I'm dealing with is monsters and demons it seems 
But believe me when I say the world's not yet ended, and people like us may be one of the few things that could prevent it. That's what we're working on. We're searching for a link right now. Have you found yours? Not yet. I'm trying to put it off, honestly. We made a promise. Yes. Yes. If things become too dire, I may have to break it. Well, you know I'm not here to bind or control you. You are your own person these days. And I trust you to do what's right. I think we're getting close. So after that, it's three more to go. If they go as smoothly, expect we'll be done in a few months. If not, who knows? Yes. The people you travel with, you do know there will come a time to decide who, I suppose, gets top billing on the spires. Right? I'm aware. I think about this a lot. Traveling with those that I travel with, people with integrity, with good hearts, who it's difficult to believe to me that they would serve entities or gods that aren't worthy of having extensive influence in this world just based on the character of their champions, these people, my friends. And the more I think about this, the more it makes this whole thing confusing (laughs) and difficult for me to figure out my place in it all, I suppose. I don't know that there's going to be a good answer, but what we've seen more of here is bad people with good intentions and good people just doing bad. So I've got my own quandary there. I suppose that's what it boils down to is in a world like that, people desperately need to see some sort of hope at the end, some sort of beacon of light, something to look towards and see that not everything is awful. Yeah. If your travels bring you this way, try and avoid the outer city. And Armsgate, stay out of there. It's a bloodbath constantly. Noted. I'm sure my travels will bring me that way. I can see things starting to flicker and fade. If you don't, I imagine this is more your dream than mine. Well, before things slip away too far, Victoria, know that I love you. And I pray we can meet again soon. I love you too. I'll be praying. And you see something like fall over her face and she's suddenly smiling and cheery. And she says, well, before that, I've got to go out to the market. I'll get something for you. And she stands up and happily kind of jaunts over to the door and opens it and skips out. For a moment after the door is open, there's the sounds of bustling in the street, like there always was. A few seconds pass, though, the door still cracked open, and all the sound fades. And suddenly, your home, though lit and heated, feels empty and cold. With a uh, kind of a deep sigh... And just like the the most obvious of us, forced grins. Um, Riley's going to slowly reach out for the glass of milk and attempt to go out of this dream on his own terms by seeing how it tastes. It tastes like lemon pepper and milk. 
So probably not amazing, but not awful either because you can make lemon pepper cream sauce. So there's that. But you find yourself still here. Yeah, he like puts the glass down and then just like blinks a couple of times, totally having expected to wake up at that point. Um, so when he doesn't, he uh, shakes his head and uh, stands up and I guess will steadily just begin to explore. I mean, he has agency in what he believes is a dream at this point. So he's going to kind of dive into it. Okay. So how about do you explore? Where do you go first? Uh, he probably starts with getting a better look at um, his house first, just to, you know, see how it compares to what he remembers, I'm sure, pretty well if it's a dream. Mm-hmm. Then uh, through the city, he probably wants to visit visits Victoria's just for the sake of nostalgia, just to see if anything strange or weird stands out or if it's just as he remembers. Okay, so you step out onto the street and as the sound inferred, it is devoid of persons and activity. There are stalls, shops, cookeries, and places in which people were obviously at moments ago. Steaming food, served up hot on a bowl, set on a counter, but no one around. Make me a perception check. A very meaty 13. So you're making your way to Victoria's when you notice the only movement that you've really seen this whole time. A small figure, perhaps a child, at a distance, poking out of an alleyway, seeing you, and then ducking back in it. Well, that's unexpected at this point. Um, so, yeah, Riley takes a moment to let's just like look around and then he's going to go uh, check things out. You head down this alleyway and you notice a few streets down at the far end of where these buildings line up. Uh, the small figure turning left out onto another street. It's time to give chase. And so you chase. The figure always seems to be just keeping out of reach just at the edge of your sight as you turn a corner so do they it takes you a few minutes to notice that you no longer really know where you are and the structures are different and you barrel out of an alleyway and suddenly you're no longer in the city you're in a village you come out from between a pair of houses and you see many people laid upon the ground. Some look like townsfolk, others are lightly armored, hodgepodge, probably bandits. Among them, you see a small figure and you see one person hunched over it, cradling it. You see your father. Um, so... Yeah, uh, Riley's eyes probably widen a bit. Mostly for like, for most intents and purposes, seeing his father like in that proximity again. Um, with like not even really thinking about the situation anymore or really 
cognitively putting anything together. He just like immediately rushes over um, to uh, crouch at his father's side and just like to see if he can put a hand on his shoulder and look upon the person that his father is like cradling over subconsciously knowing probably what this is, but not really thinking about it, you know? As you put your hand on his shoulder, the scene from that touch, which is fleeting, begins to shift. It's cloudy now. The bodies are gone. You saw him for but a moment, and then he was gone. The small figure in his arms, a halfling woman, run through. Now you sit there kneeling in the rain and the only figure you can see again is this halfling woman standing across from you. There's something off, like her edges aren't really defined. Uh, Riley doesn't even like stand up. He just, he probably falls into a more of a kneeled position instead of just like crouching down and um, looking at her he just like shakes his head a little bit and says... Can you hear me? Can you understand me? She nods. Are are you doing this? Why is this happening? She will, from behind her back, produce a book. Unlike her, the book appears to have solid form and definition. She opens it. She begins to, in a strong voice, recite a... I guess it would be a, a limerick is something that's like in between a poem and a song. Is that right? Uh, how vulgar is it? <laughs> I mean, it, it could just be like a rhythmic poem, uh, a poem with a high sense of rhythm. And Okay. So a, she begins to loudly recite this, this poem, which tells the tale of how when the world was cracked and broken, there were many heroes most of them fell. Some completed their quests. Some, however, were too late. And it becomes this sorrowful sort of cadence where she speaks about the end and how there's no one left. And the whole world, whether cracked and broken or left pristine, was wiped of life. How the spaces just creep and crawl with things that don't belong. And how it wasn't just here, but also beyond. And she closes the book. Are you trying to say that's me succeeding or how quickly I'm moving upon this? could determine whether or not the world itself survives. There's so many people, there's so many individuals looking to complete this god quest, and there's so many other people in need. How can I turn my back on a world that I'm supposed to save? She kind of holds the book to her chest, closes her eyes, and begins to sing a song. It's a simple song, one you've probably actually heard before. Almost childish uh it's usually sung to children but it's essentially the story of the tortoise and the hare except that the hare didn't stop to sleep and at the end the hare turns to the tortoise 
and says that it took so long that the pot was ready and the turtle gets tossed in the pot and eaten. And you kind of, while she's singing this song, there are like echoes, not really things that you see, but visualizations in your mind. There's, every time she mentions the hair, you are reminded of a number of eyes, not those ones that you saw in the sky, but rather the ones that you saw on the thing that at first appeared like Taraxis, and then it wasn't in your memory. That pink thing with weird wings and eyes all over its body. Riley definitely like stays quiet for a while, just mulling this over. And I, I think like if I and he are understanding this correctly, I think the, the most poignant part of that was uh, when you said the hair doesn't sleep. <laughs> um, so in his head, um, it kind of frames it like if the forces that we're up against or that are seeking to destroy the world, if they like never stop moving forward, um, then that's a huge problem. And I think um, if that holds ground, if that makes sense for him to think about, um, that that's like kind of completely reframes the context of almost everything to him. And he just starts like muttering, it doesn't sleep. It doesn't sleep. Dear gods, it doesn't sleep. And in a quiet and very meek voice, this halfling woman will whisper, find me and you will awaken. Uh, I'm feeling like if he wakes up and just like feels like awake, like the cool chill of the air, you know, um, just like feeling not in a dream alive or whatever, he uh, will probably start uh, sobbing to himself for a while. Okay. And that that will be how you start out next session. Sobbing? Sobbing. What else is I new? I want... <laughs> I I want that sound bite. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll just put on a microphone any any given moment during the day. <laughs> so, Leaf. Yes. Would you like some lemongrass tea? <laughs> uh, lemongrass <laughs> milk, please. Lemongrass cackling in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought she was loud enough to pick up. So, Leaf, you go to do your meditation, your your trance for the night. Much like uh, Mr. Morheim, Riley, at first, it's not really a pleasant experience. You are flooded with these visions of entities you can't make out clearly but you're very aware that they're covered in silver light and silver sheen and they're just tearing everything to shit your friends Navardo the people you've met the forests that you grew up in and came to care about Box everything 
is just torn to the ground by them and you are just clutched in the sense of fear and inaction uh and and you do nothing about it and and now everything that you love and care about has been destroyed and this persists on for a small amount of time you aren't like contacted by the silver flame or anything like that in like a way that it's like you've communicated before it's just this trance dream I, I feel like in the past whenever he he was put up against these these forces he was probably uh, felt more pity than anything for for you know the forces arrayed against him just you know sad creatures doing sad things and you know they they should be put to rest but i kind of feel like um he in addition to the effects of, of just kind of being so close to this this vengeful silver flame but just having remembered back to uh him and, and box almost being burned alive he he's starting to kind of take on that spirit of, of vengeance and uh so maybe there is is that feeling of helplessness and inaction but I, I feel like he's he's also angry and he's he's grinding his teeth and uh if if he he's not able to to move or do anything while he's watching these scenes play by he's he's definitely pulling at his chains or, or whatever's holding him back so after the first couple i i think you would start to have this set in and start gaining a sense of agency, probably not immediately at the beginning, but perhaps about by the time that Box is being attacked. Uh, what would you like to do? Uh, are they just vague scenes arrayed in front of him? Or are, are all these people that he knows uh, just arrayed around him in uh, a field of suffering? They're kind of, yeah. Like the, the scene itself is somewhat vague uh just as the entities uh are but the things that you care about the things that you love though they shift in and out as the as the stream has progressed uh they they are very clear then uh you, you said they're they're like burning they have the silver light on them yeah huh like some of them are like like Delrex where there's like a nimbus of the silver fire around them whereas some of them are just like sheens and glimmers but is, is so that that would be the case for like the the boxes and, and the assorted loved ones no they are pretty much just I, I would say they're in like grayscale as with most of everything else in the stream it's it's the other entities, the attacking ones, that have the fire and the and the sheen. Um, I, I think right now he's not ready to embrace the silver flame. He's he's getting influenced by it, but he he just kind of taps back into his his training because he's the the one thing that's kind of been hammered into him ever since he's he's come into contact with the silver flame is that it it doesn't seem to have limits on on where it's it's wrath 
the as far as collateral damage goes it it wants to to burn everything even if it's aired only you know slightly for forgiveness is, is a big tenant and the the beliefs that leaf has and uh I, I think he's looking for for a middle ground where he can help the people that he cares about and still stop you know the the root of of all of this suffering you know nip it in the bud rip it out root and stem and uh he he just kind of, of whispers to himself as he's he's you know starts marching towards the uh the grayscaled loved ones and and kind of looks them in the faces and i think uh he just says like silver flame can't be controlled and it's it's wrath has too much potential to hurt the ones i try and protect at this given moment currently there is an individual uh surrounded by a nimbus of this flame attacking box you've seen this happen time and time again at this point and you know that in moments box will fall so the big thing that he struggled with with the silver flame is is control and i i think he he wants to lean into his his origins and you know his his original font of power and and mm-hmm. you know search and see if there's there's maybe a solution to his problems uh through his his connection with nature and okay. uh so I, I i think you know this this silver hand that he's got uh or is is there like any any like vegetation or, or something nearby yeah it's, it's like kind field? of blurry like the rest of this the uh environment but it's there then i i, I think what what he's he's after is basically like you know uh you you could call it a cage or a restraint or 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 something for this but i i think what what the end result what his finalized idea is going to turn into is is you know like like a a, a gun barrel or, or something like that he he doesn't want to to cage it and, and trap it he wants to direct the the flame he's you know this this control that he's after and so i i think he'll just kind of like press his hand into and i, I I'm, I'm trying to think if if like maybe he'll he'll like reach out out to box and uh you know grasp his hand and i i think use his nature magic and and you know his his knack for crafting and see if he can shape some of the spare material and and find a way to to channel uh this this silver flame uh and and turn it into a weapon he's comfortable with wielding against these horrible forces like literally just like cardboard tube on the arm and so <laughs> no not not like a mega blaster or something <laughs> i i mean like i i was i was thinking like um some some kind of like seal 
or or like a full arm gauntlet or, or something you know heavy and uh, he's got some, some decent ranks in like knowledge arcana and you know the whole like craft wondrous thing and so he's, he's got a background in, in having knowledge on that and so I, I think he's he's you know in his desperation he's he's gonna deep down reach out and uh you know maybe reach out with his his mind and his his heart uh to the grandfather oak and say uh i i don't trust myself uh with the power that's licking at my fingertips and i don't trust it with the lives and safety of my friends and loved ones control is what i need give me a charisma check uh sure it's like uh control is what i need a cage for the beast and a key to let it loose on my enemies and fuck, that's that's a three on the dice for a total of four <laughs> so you you feel yourself reaching out and you know you're reaching out to the first tree but you also feel the presence of the silver flame and you you're requesting this way to cage the flame to control it and <laughs> you feel like your words even in your mind echo hollowly they the veins in your arm erupt in flame burning box not to a crisp but definitely hurting him and a form kind of takes shape extended from your arm a raging flame extended like a sword and you feel a loss of control you begin to feel like you're in the cage as this reaches out and scorches the one that was attacking box and as it's seared away it gains some definition and before it completely disintegrates into nothing you can make out del rex's face but that is the last of that dream you will have tonight oh i i think he would just kind of like wisp away at that scene and say then there's only wrath as, as he just listens to the crackling and burning. And eventually that too will fade. You find yourself once again on a dock in Solaria. The sound of the waves lazily lapping against the shore further up the wood. This time, you're not sitting, fishing. There's a little boat, maybe 15 feet long, with a little sail on it. And you look down into it, and you see Thimble. Dimble. Trudging around. Dimble. Damn it. it yeah, because it's <laughs> Dimble Thought. Dimble. You see Dimble. Dome names are tongue twisters. <laughs> yeah. So you see Dimble. He's carrying some small casks down into what you assume is a rather tightly spaced hold. I, I think he just kind of like, d does he still have the, the like sword of flame? No. that And that's kind of faded from your memory for the moment. I see. Uh, 
What about like the re residual, just like emotion of that previous scene? Is he still feeling distraught or is it kind of like a blank slate at this point? You definitely feel jarred. Like you feel bad, but you don't know why. I, I think uh, then he, he just kind of like blinks at the new scene. And I imagine the change of lighting and, you know, the the smell of the water and he he stumbles a few steps towards uh, this image of Dembel. What's he doing? Uh, he He's loading these barrels and he comes out and he, he looks up just like, well, there's more up there. I know there is. And as you look around, you see that there's several small crates and uh, casks and bundles and bags still left up on the dock near where you are. As you think back, you remember this. This was the first time he tried to sort of set out on a boat and get a handle for sailing. You also remember it didn't go so well, though not disastrously. I, I think he, he kind of like steps forward towards towards one of the the barrels and he, he doesn't make to to like move it he but but he he like leans on it for support and uh says um that's <laughs> that's a lot of uh wine to be hauling for a first time sailor maybe you should have your head about you while you're out to sea uh oh well, the water is not necessarily safe to drink and i'm no spellcaster i can't do what you do I'm just Make it rain. And he does like a little, like jazz fingers at that. Uh Well, you you've got your own talents, Dimble. <laughs> uh, making water hasn't helped me much in recent memory. What's the matter with you? You were fine just a minute ago. I don't know. I I feel lost. Lost. How'd you get lost on the dock? It, he, he just kind of takes a breath and he tries tries to shake it off and uh, he says, I, I think it might just be the, the ocean air. I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll try and help with the barrels. No, no, no. Hold up. And he like, he tugs on a little rope and climbs up out of the boat onto the dock. Now, something's not right here. You want to talk about it? I've just got a feeling of dread. And do do I have any idea of like how I got here? Because you, you said it was pretty jarring. It, am, am I remembering like as if it was like, just I, a second ago how I got here? I, I think it's starting to sink in that you're dreaming. Aha. Uh -huh. Because there's multiple things that are ceasing to add up. Because you still have memories of things that have happened after this, for one. Yes. Yes, I, I, I want to talk about it. Uh, but first, you've got to be careful for that loop of rope. I, I remember you tripping on it and spilling half a day's supplies. And, you know, he, he just kind of, like, marches over towards the boat and uh, starts, like, fixing his rigging so that, uh you know, maybe that accident doesn't happen as he remembers it. Like, uh, a half-joking... Uh, but also with a touch of serious concern in his eyes. Uh, are you sure you haven't drank some of the wine there, buddy? 
I feel like I've been done this before. I get that feeling sometimes. You know, we gnomes, we can stick around a while. Sometimes things bring up old memories, not necessarily pleasant ones. I wonder if that's what's happening with you. Elves elves longer than most as well. True. This is different. So let's talk about it. Come on, have a seat. There's no, no reason to rush. It's still in the morning. No. The last time we've talked, you said there, we're running out of time. There is no time. The last time we talked, you were trying to get Raquel to t- talk you out of buying that bottle of mead. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And I, I think at, at that point, he, he, you know, sits down in the offered seat, less, you know, due to the offer itself and, and more just kind of like from from the day's events he's kind of emotionally exhausted and you know the the sudden jarring and the flashback and he he just kind of like puts his elbows down on his knees and his head sinks down into his palms and he just says oh Raquel is, is she here I imagine she's back at the tavern I mean unless she's picked up an odd job for the evening I think um I think I'd like to see her before you set sail uh Sure thing. Uh, you want me to go with you? Yeah, I think I'd like that. Okay. I don't know what's up with you, man, but something's got you in a funk. There's a... <laughs> there's a lot on my shoulders lately, it seems. And... <sighs> I feel like... I'm making choices and all the wrong ones. If you've you've got a a job to do, you're supposed to take whatever tools you've got to get the job done. I, I feel like I'm turning down the things that I need in the face of not compromising simple morals. I'm worried it's going to get people hurt. You've always been a good guy, Leaf. Even even back when we first met. You didn't like us because we were outsiders. And you still tried to just drive us away to help us. Has somebody like offered you something that we we can help you out, Leaf? Don't you, you don't need help from somebody that's gonna do something like that. We're your friends. Is his hand still all silvery in Dreamland? You look down and like it's there, you can see it. But at the same time it almost feels like the light is covering it. So like it faded like an old scar or something? Yeah. Duh. You think that's wise? Even if it gets people hurt? No. Who's getting hurt? Leave. It, it, have, is, is there someone threatening us? Is there someone else you care, care about being threatened? I think it's bigger than that, Dimble. Bigger than that. Come on, Leaf, tell me. There's there's monsters out there. I know, that's... No, you don't. These monsters, even the gods fear them. And I, I think I've got another breed of monster that's tempting me, offering itself as, as a tool. And I don't know if it's worse. Good, innocent people 
maybe not perfect, but not beyond redemption. And it just wants to leave nothing but ashes. That doesn't sound very good to me. I wouldn't take it, Leaf. We're your friends. We'll help you deal with it. Then what do I do about the other ones? The, the monsters that prompted these decisions in the first place. Monsters are monsters. They follow the sword. Just like they always have. And yeah, sometimes... Sometimes we'll lose people. I remember Dorka and Rose just as well as you do. There have been others. You know that. But it, if it's... If it's something that's not right, Leaf... If it's just going to kill people, it's not worth it. But it's it's not worth potentially saving a life. It, it asks for a single offering to, to, to burn something that it sees as corrupt. In exchange, you, you're now holding a sword that could save hundreds, thousands. That's not a sacrifice worth making? I don't know, Leaf. Is it? You're not torn up over nothing. I feel like no matter what decision I make, I'll end up regretting it. Is it worth losing who you are? What worth is an elf that can't even help his friends? I, I saw Box not too long ago. Burnt half to senders. The gods put their finger on the scale to grant us these boons, help us fight against these forces, and even still... I don't remember Box getting burned. The gods? I I don't know what you're talking about, Leaf. I'm worried about you. So what should I do, old friend? I think you should do what you've always done. Be true to yourself. Even if it means making hard decisions. He, he just kind of kind of nods. And this this whole time, he's he's just kind of been like wringing his his hands just fidgeting and uh not not being still his head hanging and uh so i think i can do that okay well you wanted to see raquel um we're here and he'll motion towards the dusty step tavern a very regular place for the partisans he he kind of in, inflates somewhat at hearing those words and uh you know kind of, kind of like somebody who who's like lived somewhere for a long time and hasn't seen it in ages and it's it's familiar but you're you're taking it slow so you can kind of experience things for the first time again and you know after being away for so long and uh so he, he just kind of holds his breath as he reaches for the door and uh, makes his way through the threshold. And inside is a familiar sight. Tavern, you spent several years getting to learn the inside of. Raquel standing over by the job board, picking through different tasks on the wall. Still young. Before you two really got to do anything together, but... Definitely after you became friends. I think uh, he he makes a beeline over to her and uh, just m makes for like a, a full hug 
as, as like deep and tightly as uh, he, he can manage even even understanding the threat of catching an elbow for surprising an orc so you kind of do this and uh, she notices you a moment before you grab her and kind of half spins and it's just like one of her arms is up in the air while you're doing this and she's just like, what the hell okay what's this about it's just uh it's been too long it's been half an hour what's up with you feels like years to me keep flirting like that knife here and de Gaulle's gonna kick your ass uh, I will endure and uh I mean he, he just keeps squeezing <laughs> all right seriously this isn't exactly the most comfortable position and with that he he kind of like loosens up and he says yep sorry uh so like kind of half slap your cheek be like that's for touching a lady without asking uh i I, sorry uh i'm I'm a do you need me for something no uh i I just wanted to see you uh i'm i'm a bit uh, out of sorts today and uh i just got telling me talking with Dimble. Is is Degal around? Uh, he's out on a job right now. You knew this. And he, he just points at his head. Uh, out of sorts, remember? Seriously, do you let him drink one of the wine casks? And she, uh, she regards to uh, Dimble, and he's like, no, I asked him that too. I, I don't know, he's talking a lot of weird stuff, but he seems really messed up. Just got a lot of big decisions coming up, I think. I think uh, maybe some friendly faces might have done me some good to clear my head. Yeah, well, whenever Dugal gets back from this job, clearing out whatever the hell's killing that guy's coats, we'll all get together and have a drink, I guess. And this makes your fucking heart sink. Because little did you all know at the time, but the thing killing that farmer's goats was a troll troll that Dugal was not ready to fight. He doesn't come back from this job. Uh, are are there already, like, drinks on the table? Uh, I mean, there's a couple laying around, yeah. Then I, I, I think he holds back his tears, and he sits down, and he says, no, I, I, th- I think maybe drinks now. Uh, hey, you're gonna be want, you're gonna want to be good and sauced for uh, for this afternoon, and uh, he, you know, they both just share a very concerned look with each other. I told you, Temple. I I feel like I've been here before, and I don't think sundown's bringing good news. Sun doesn't go down. I, I'm assuming there's like colloquial terms, and I feel like you take a drink out of out of that cup and the room starts to spin you open your eyes and the end is dark the outside windows are shut and the door is only cracked letting a bit of light in uh Raquel and Dimble both are not present job board only has a couple tattered pieces of paper still hanging from it to no bartender to be seen. The cup in your hand is bone dry. 
got a couple of cobwebs in it. I, I think um, he's still at the table. Yeah. And um, I, th- I think he just kind of sits for a moment, glaring at that crack of light from the door and, you know, grinds his tr- dry cup into the table because he feels like he knows what's waiting for him outside. And, uh, you know, kind of like leaning against the the top of the mug to prop himself up and and bring himself to his feet. He just kind of knocks it to the floor and, and, you know, sets his jaw and he marches towards it to swing it open. Outside, the dusty step has earned its name. There's sand, something you don't see a hell of a lot of this far east. As you look around, everything looks faded. The colors in the cloth, which is tattered and worn, all just coated in dust and bleached by the sun. Keeps walking. Is there any sign of activity or...? Nothing so far. Do you do you head towards the docks or further inside the city? Uh, he's he's heading towards Dimple's boat. All right. So you make your way to the docks. It's not long before you realize that something is quite wrong. You don't hear the sound of the ocean or the smell of the sea. You make your way to the docks as what you see starts to sink in out onto the creaky dry boards. There's nothing but an empty chasm beneath you, dry to the bone, boats sunk into the sand, into the stone, the entire ocean, just gone. Hot sun above, beating down. Uh, no no sign of activity here. Uh, d- does, does he see Dimble's boat uh, down beneath the docks? No. There's just sand and dust and stone as far as you can see. The only sound is that of the wind and your own body and steps. Uh, then I, I think maybe he would walk towards the end of the dock and just kind of get a better view. You know, of, of course, like off into the yawning chasm that used to be the ocean, but also back into the city and along the shoreline from this more distant perspective. The dry expanse before you seems endless. It goes to the horizon. There's no sight of a speck of water in what is perhaps the wettest place you've ever seen. You turn back to the city and it feels empty. Wind blows through the streets, kicking dust and sand up. Sand like this had to have traveled hundreds of miles from the desert to get here. Is there like an area where the sand is thickest? It builds up around little bits and crevices. But it doesn't look like Where the wind doesn't twirl. Uh, I guess he would head in the opposite direction from which the wind is blowing. So if it's if it's blowing it into the city, I guess he'll head towards the source. Okay. You walk further into the city. 
You walk for what feels like hours. Every once in a while, you think you see something moving, but upon closer inspection, it's just a piece of cloth blowing in the wind. There's no one. There's no one to speak of. They're all gone. Then, um, I think he'll just find, um, a nice, quiet corner where, um, he can gaze upon the ruin and suffer in silence. Just kind of, uh, thinking, you know, if if he does nothing, that's the only thing worse than making the wrong decision, is, is just having not acted at all. Well, well, well. Isn't this interesting? You hear Taraxus. Yeah, I mean, he, he visibly shows surprise on his face at the sound of the voice. Uh, he, he looks up at the creature. Aren't you a busy little bee leaf? <laughs> it wasn't all that long ago that I was pulling a sword away from your heart. There's something interesting here. This bee may be busy, but I, I don't feel like I have much to show for it. Mm. What brings you back here? You're talking about... All of this? And everything that leads to it? I've just been, shall we say, looking around. There are several unset levels of this tapestry. I imagine by this point you're a little more familiar with me. But I'm not necessarily with you. Oh, very odd. Perhaps you're not the one I know. And? And what? Does it matter? Does what matter, Leaf? If you know me. Perhaps. I suppose neither of us get to know that at the moment. Am I still to play a part in your game? My game? <laughs> what game? to suffer for your entertainment while you l chuckle from your lofty perch. That's a rather small way of thinking about it. You don't suffer for my entertainment. I'm merely entertained by you. Whether or not you suffer makes no difference. So by all means, strive to cease. But I have a feeling, and he like lowers himself down to your level, that you're not quite the one I marked. And his grin grows wide and his teeth sort of shiver. It's very good disconcerting. Almost like the teeth themselves are prehensile. Yes. Articulated. Yep. Ugh. That was Kung Fu Grip. <laughs> uh, then I, I think he 
brings himself to his feet from his his lonely uh, seat, and uh, I, I can't say whether I'm the leaf gold thrush that you marked, but I can say that I'm the one that you've scurried from not too long ago. What brings you back? Not back. I've always been here, Leaf. Keeping your distance as of late? Most definitely. You're a different one then. I've got no reason to scurry away from mine. Something powerful attached to you, I assume. I don't see a tether off of you. But yet here you are. Somewhere you really, really don't belong. And where is here? I imagine much the same place as where you're from, as it doesn't appear to have been unfamiliar to you. But I imagine there's a different ending here. The place I remember had people. It was alive. This place once did as well. Not too long ago, even. You must be from... another thread of time. Another universe. Another beginning. Very powerful things might be able to do that. Dangerous things. Silver flames, perhaps. And you notice that he visibly, like, takes a step back. Though he doesn't show quite the concern that the other, uh, what I will refer to as the other Traxxas, uh, has. Yes, that would be one. You've been a naughty boy, Leaf. How so? Playing with toys that aren't yours and you don't understand. A child doesn't learn not to play with fire until they burn their fingers. I believe this lesson. Yes, but what about fire that stays and sticks like burnt sugar? This is a lesson I'm becoming more acquainted with by the day. (laughs) Yes, you unfortunately must learn things in order. But it it seems like uh, you may have forgotten. No, I'm different, shall we say. There's a long story that is perhaps less important to be explained than it is that I am not the Taraxis you know, but I am Taraxis. And there is only one But there is only one for each beginning and ending. Does this difference come with a purpose? That's as good a question as your own existence. My intention is survival. Uh, Does that benevolence extend to others beyond yourself? Perhaps. What are you thinking, Leaf? I'm thinking I seek control in uh, matters where I've felt very rudderless as of late. Mm. 
Well, it's going to be difficult to control one of the most controlling things in all of existence. Your silver flame, I take it. You would take it correctly? Perhaps the version of myself that you know has not been so forthcoming with information. Perhaps for good reason. But you do not seem keen on keeping this entity bound to you. I don't want any part of a sword that burns friend and foe alike. And its uh, its leash seems to be uh, gaining more slack by the day. It isn't. But yours is getting tighter. Very well. I will part with some information for you. In good faith to another me, I suppose. Should our existences ever happen to cross, I'd like us to leave one another alone. I've shown restraint in the matter thus far. The Silver Flame, as you call it, is also known as the Fire of Law. It's a primeval not even a being, force of nature is more like, but even more ingrained than that, it spreads throughout the plains. It is one of several primeval forces similar to itself. Very few ever directly interact with the things. And frankly, you're quite lucky that it hasn't simply overpowered you. I imagine because this isn't where it's from, its power is weakened some. Hence why I didn't immediately detect it. And likely, I would assume, why you're not trying to blow me up at the moment. See, we don't get along. Not perfectly, at least. But I've made the decision not to let this, this power loose without good reason. Adir has argued quite favorably for you. Hmm. I've trusted her judgment as far as that's concerned. She is an interesting one. But you seem to have caught me at a very odd moment. You see everything here, though it seems to move. It's frozen. You're not in a time like you're used to. You're in a time like I'm used to. So I actually haven't experienced this yet. Right now, she doesn't trust me. But I imagine you and she experience a similar stage during your time. Let's assume so. I wonder how similar these two threads are. Perhaps we'll see. I can't imagine there's too much of a difference for coming from the same backgrounds, making similar decisions. Well, now I have information that yours didn't, and you will have information that yours isn't giving you. Perhaps things will become more interesting for that matter. Go on. 
This flame of yours generally creeps through and consumes its servants, making them nameless beings in eternal servitude across the plains. A very powerful force, to be sure, but purely without their own will. Simply vessels for its power. How do I not become that you're going to have to seek out an opposing force. <laughs> this, I'm sure, will greatly interest the other one. You're going to have to seek out a primeval force of chaos. <laughs> oh. That is rather... I almost regret. <clears throat> I wonder. Never mind that. Yes, you have to seek out a primeval force of chaos to, shall we say, equalize what you've got stuck with you. Balance. Balance, yes. The forces will try to destroy each other if you're strong enough or lucky enough you'll be able to survive that if you're supremely lucky you might even get to control both <laughs> oh I wish I could watch that I imagine it will be very short either way I don't exactly trust my luck of late but I suppose for the second time in memory uh, I should thank you, Taraxis. Uh, yes, Taraxis. We have other names, you know. Some more deserving than others. Taraxis is appropriate. It's just a name. But I don't suppose you know much about us. I can't say I do, but it seems in this place, all I have is time. Care to uh, spin a tale? Perhaps a bit. Tell me, has your Taraxis explained much as to why he's doing this? I, I will go with the Adira special and say entertainment. Good. Good. So, long story short, and because it is the longest story, literally older than time, I and he, we appear to be similar, but to what degree I do not understand. We have escaped the end and made it to a new beginning. This end is far flung infinitely further than you can comprehend truly the end of time there is an ending a waking of one when it falls asleep again there's a new beginning very few know about this I learned and I followed 
gained passage, so to speak. Now here we are, having seen everything once already. At least. So were you mortal once? No. Not by your terms. But I have not changed from my terms of existence. I exist at the beginning. I am a part of it. And I exist until the end. And that is where I am supposed to end. But like all things, I wanted to survive. So I found a way to escape. To pass the waking. And make it long enough to last until the next sleep. What manner is that? Some very... Very talented people. And they're very special little bubble, a pocket of sleep to remain while it's awake. I don't imagine those very special people were allowed to come along. Don't imagine they're still around. They are. Elsewise, I'd be absolutely fucked. No, they're still around. And I play by their rules. As long as I keep by their terms, I get to stay in the bubble. Makes sense. As much as such things can. It's on a very more, on a very much more complicated level. But imagine a ship in a flood. I'm on the ship until the waters come back down. But for one who's seen everything at least once, what value are we? Why do you keep showing up for us? There are some things that make the impossible possible, and you all play a part in it. I see. Things grow more complex. Ever simple as they are. Do we get a good ending when all things have settled? I don't know. So, this, this version of things as you see it, you've not seen before? That's the question. You're not from here. You are from your perspective, but trust me, you're not. And that's perhaps the only reason I'm telling you all of this. <coughs> you can't interfere, but perhaps you can bring a little bit of spice to the other one. Consider it a gift from me to myself. And I have no choice but to accept it graciously. So, uh, conversation's been very illuminating. I imagine it has been. I've learned a thing or two myself. I wonder how many cycles yours has been through. Or if we're parallel. I shudder to consider it. The scope of these things. They are beyond the purview of minds such as yours. Try not to think about We're so very small in the end. Yes. Even things like myself. There's another cycle, and another, and another. It never ends. Everything is small in endlessness. Worry about your scale. <laughs> I am not sure there's enough worry to go around. <laughs> yes, this is one possibility, I suppose, of your world as well as this one. Even here, the threads aren't clear. 
This is just one of them. One possibility. One facet in a tapestry that may not come to be. So if we're pulling back the curtain somewhat, these these creatures that are spreading in my world, what are they? Some of them are little more than animals. Perhaps not to your conception of such, but they are beings seeking to live just like you. They simply do it in a way that is uh, deadly to your people. Others are either the beings themselves or related to the beings that can make impossibility. I stood amongst the gods chosen in the sky and watched these things tear apart a city. I've, I believe I've seen these things that are more than animals. I've seen vague, hazy, so that's a tangled mess. Powerful beings. Gods from before gods. And doing the bidding of, of these deities as we've been uh, bade to, this, this will work? For a time. But it will always change things. Silical nature of things. For you. Time moves forward. That is the simplest and most important thing you can take from this. You're not going to have an easy time going back. So do what you can while you can. Okay. <sighs> Thank you, Teraxis. You're welcome, Leaf. <laughs> And for a brief moment before waking, he vanishes and you see something extremely strange. It's the smallest flit, but it's almost as if you see at the, at the exact same moment, the space in front of you is the time that you know, a time long before a city was ever there, as well as the dusty, barren landscape that you had been in, all simultaneously, and it makes your head fucking hurt. Well, yeah, shit, that was intense. Oof. Congratulations on crossing time span universes. Yeah, so I'm basically Taraxis now. <laughs> <laughs> the plane of dreams is a strange one. Yeah, but I, I, I think Leaf's got a better idea of uh, where he should be setting his goalposts and which paths he should be taking. So it was certainly fruitful. How, do, how does he feel about Taraxis now? Um, better than when he started. <laughs> I guess that's accurate. He's, he's effectively eliminated his uh, creeping urge to uh, immolate the creature. Like, uh, I mean, there, there's still like a ton of uncertainty there. And like, like ultimately the, the concept that you know, someone who's been around as long as Taraxis has been could just be saying exactly the right things to to make Leaf trust him. That th that like possibility is there because uh, he he knows that he's like a small fish in a big pond, uh, at least at this point. But uh, his his demeanor and opinion of Taraxis is is vastly improved as a result of the conversation. It's not like a, a latent hostility. 
Or like an uneasy alliance. Your Taraxis is still fucking under the impression that you're going to torch him. Yeah, well, may- maybe he should have been nicer. <laughs> Not that he was like as a super dick or anything, but I, Taraxis 2 is twice the man Taraxis 1.0 ever was. <laughs> Taraxis 2 had no reason to keep secrets from you. Yeah, I imagine there's there's uh, enough similarities between the secrets of the two to be worth his time. Yeah, yeah holy shit. So, Shadow. So, yes. Shadow is asleep and her bed all cuddled up next to Void. So, Shadow, your dreams start out far more pleasantly than the bulk of the party says. You're not coaxed with nightmares beforehand, but you do have some plain, plain old dreams. I think she typically just dreams of being home. So you dream of being home. Might I inquire as to which home? The temple. That's where that's where uh, Grayson is at. So you dream of being home, really mundane things. Of course, there's the little weirdness of most dreams. Uh, the things that don't make sense, if you remember them. But eventually those will fade. You'll begin to dream, and you're outside the Black Keep, and you know you have to go to Stormbluff. So you start walking. The thing that doesn't make sense about this, but you can't call to mind why it's not right is you are alone all by yourself just the occasional breeze rustle of the trees and crunch of gravel beneath your feet you're walking along walking along it's very lonely it's very sad You miss Grayson. You miss Void. Freedom. You miss your friends. You miss your dad. Your mom. Your grandmother. It's been a lonely road, it feels like. You're walking along and you see something that kind of strikes you in the heart as a very terrifying thing though it looks fairly simple it's a dark tether fading off you know it leads to the plane of shadow but for some reason it just fills you with dread do you do anything you walk past it you go to it i i think she would avoid it uh she's by herself she's she's not with her brother she's not with her grandmother she uh she made the trip to Grandmama's house by herself because she absolutely had to. But she does not like being alone in the shadow plane. You travel along some more. Make me a perception check. Okay. Uh, what is my plus to perception? It is 11. So. Uh, 25. 25. So you're traveling along. The wind kind of picks up. It's the rustle of trees and. But for a moment, you swear you hear something else stepping in the gravel. You spin around to look, and there's just a quickly dissipating fog. You're not entirely sure what it is. Turn to... Uh, I think uh, she would go into 
uh, stealth mode to try to kind of disappear into the tree okay. line beside the road. You continue on for a little while, stealthfully. You notice another one of these tethers. It still fills you with dread. She's thinking something about this is not right. Uh, the places where the shadow plane overlaps, they're they're not so frequent. They're not... Th this is not right to her. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Um, is, is this kind of like, are these tethers kind of portal-like or? No, they're like kind of on the ground. They almost look like shadows that kind of, uh, taper down to a point after about 10 feet. They, they don't look like portals, but you feel like you know that they will take you to the shadow plane. There's something familiar about them that you just can't quite place. Yeah, I, do, I don't think she wants to touch them. She's uh, she's she's apprehensive about it, and she feels like she's on this mission that she has to get to Storm Bluff. She doesn't want to be taken away from that. All right, so you move on. Make me another perception check. Uh, that one's only a 19. Make me another one. Uh, 28. This time, you're creeping along through the edge of the woods. And you it's still windy, so it's still a little hard to pick out. But you hear something that's not going with the ebb of the wind, cracking, pushing tree branches, stepping in underbrush. And you turn for a brief moment. It's like there's a huge figure, but it just fades into this mist and the mist dissipates quickly. And you feel a pang of fear. I think at that point, being by herself, feeling like there's nobody to protect her and that fear hitting her so hard, all she's going to be aware of is the memory of her mother's voice hollering for her to run, and she's going to take off. As you are bolting, running at absolutely high speed, you notice another one of the tethers coming up ahead of you. You run past it. No, I think at this point, as afraid as she is, she figures whatever is is stalking her is in this world. So she's going to take her chances. So you run into the tether and you find yourself very much in a familiar place. And it's appropriate given the recent memory. You are between the material and shadow planes, walking on a shadow road, running the portal closed behind you and the road begins to collapse in on itself. You sprint trying to outrun it, running running. On the darker side of the road you see a figure. It's vague but seems familiar. But the ethereality of the road itself blurs what potentially or who this is. If it's Somebody who feels familiar to her, uh, feels safe in any way, she's going to run for the figure. So you run from the road and it collapses in behind you. The ground beneath you is uneven and awkward. Make me an acrobatics check. Uh, so a 23. You're able to keep your footing, but just barely. Uh, you stumble, slowing down, and you hear a heavy blade 
being pulled from its sheath, then a gasp. Nisa. Grayson. And like at that point, she just collapses into him. She's hugging him so tight. The man probably lucky he's got armor on so it doesn't stop him from breathing. What are you doing here? How are you here? I do not know. I went to sleep. I do not know. And it's after me, Grayson. You have to save me. What's after you? I do not know. It's big and it is in the mist. And it would disappear when I looked at it, but I could hear it behind me. You you just came out of a you just came out of a shadow road. I don't think it could have followed you. How did I go to a shadow? I do not understand any of this. This is not fair, Grayson. You are supposed to be with me. I don't know. I'm I'm sorry. We have to be separate. I don't like it. I don't like it either. But if it's what has to be done. It's what has to be done. I know. But I am not safe without you. Perhaps that is in fact the reason. Because if you are safe, how then will you grow? I do not want the girl anymore, Grayson. I want to be uh, the little girl again. And I want to sleep next to you every night and, and know that I am safe. I wish that's how things could be. But the world is not that way anymore. There is no time for being safe. I'm sorry. This is not your fault. You set this on the path that you knew would be best for us. You could not know that this was coming. I did not know it was coming, but I knew that one day we would have to be apart. Why? Dreams, visions. But why do we have to be apart? Why can we not save the world together? Because apart, we grow stronger than we can be together. But I have been alone. Freedom and Boy, they are there now, but it is just for a short time and then they will be gone again. It's the same with me. I do not like to to be alone, you know this. I don't like being alone either. And and the new people I have met, they seem okay. They are nice, but uh, but they do not... uh, they do not know Our Lady, and they do not know the Shadow Plane, and they do not... I do not think they can understand me. I'm sorry, Nisa, that I cannot be there for you. But there are others who need your help and mine. I know there is a demon that, that uh, Freedom is going to send you a message about. A demon. Yes. He lives in a wall and he tries to trick the people into making deals with him. I see. But I did not think I should try to fight the demon. I was not trained for that. That's wise. Especially given how much of a breadth of power they can control. It's but that is to... what you know to do, yes? So you need to come and you need to fight the demon and make it safe. Okay. I will come, but you should move on. I know. I have to move on. I have to go to the place called the Storm Bluff. Do you know it? Piggy. There is a portal north of there that, that, that goes to a place where we have an altar in, in, in our homeland. And I have to go there and I have to do this ritual thing. And I have to 
to save this man Ekrin so that he can find the shadow dragon for me. And then I have to kill the shadow dragon. That will be a dangerous fight. Yes, I know. But I believe you can do it. I fight good now, Garrison. I fight better than I did as well. It is not the fighting without you that bothers me so much. It is the living the day to day that, that bothers me. I know. But we cannot be in the same place and other places at the same time. I know. But I get confused and I try to think and, and say, what would Grayson wants me to do? And I do not always know the answer because you sometimes are very not uh, forthcoming about stuff and you just give me this look and I know I'm not supposed to do something, but you'll never tell me why. Sometimes there is a good reason and sometimes there is not. But you are not there to give me the look, then how do I know what I should do? I just have to try and make it up as I go along. You have to find your truth. What you think is right. What is right is just for me to be the shadow and do what needs to be done. But it is not always easy to separate the shadow and the Nisa. I know. It's the same with truth and grace. And so I just get up every day and I pray. And I try to make things better for the people around me. And then I pray some water and I go to bed. And that is all I know to do. I try not to be happy. It is most difficult at night when when I am alone. Through the day it is easier, but at night it is lonely. It has been some better with Void there, but but he will not be there long. It is good to hear that you have company now, even if it is Void. Do not say it like that. He is not a bad person. But he is not a good one either. Why do you say this? His purpose, his path, it is a false, it is made of falsehood. How is it false? Our lady was born of nothing, of the empty space in between. But we cannot be that. We are born of something. The void is an emulation, not a being. He betrays himself always. There is no way of telling if he will ever then betray others. Perhaps not in the worst fashion of the world, but he is emulating nothing. Nothingness. No compassion. No care. Nothing. No love. But that is just the void. That is not Ezra. Who is Ezra if not the void? He is a man, the same man he was before he became the Void, though I guess we didn't know him then. He is still there. He is like us in that way. The Void and and Ezra, they have to coexist. How do you know that Ezra is not just a mask, another mask of the Void? Because Ezra has feelings. Because he is affected by things. But that's... All the Void does is pretend to feel, to pretend to be affected by things. But what he is, is nothing. But I do not think he would spend, what has it been, 10 years now that we have been such close friends, pretending to be friends. He has, if he has uh, no nothing, then he has no need of friends. He does not need to pretend such things. 
Not even a void can do things alone. He does not have to do something alone. Um, there are the seven of us. We are all his allies. He does not need to have uh, pers- personal friendships in order to have allies. He's been the void longer than we have been shadow or truth. Who's to say he isn't more in tune with what he is meant to be? He, he is uh, very good at being the void. But he, he is not always the white. You can tell the difference if you get to know him. How do you know? How can you know that that is not simply his mask for you? Because my heart tells me so. Do you think I have not thought on these things? That I have not meditated and prayed on them? I am not a fool. Do you think I have not done the same? I want to protect you. Whether that's from him or from monsters or from weakness... I do not need protecting from him. Do not know. I receive no answers. I cannot think it. I cannot reflect on it in a way that tells me one way or the other. There is no truth in Void. No, there is not. But there is truth in Israel. (sighs) I suppose I will reflect on this. But be wary. I know you dislike him. And I have always made sure that there was never anything improper so that you have uh, no cause to take up a blade against him or if anybody else and it was your wish I would have few qualms he is only a friend but when you decided you had to to put the space the distance between us I had to have somebody there I am not like you Grayson I cannot I cannot put enough faith in myself. I have to have somebody there to believe in me. And when you left me alone, he was the friend that was there. But do you not think that that was because that was what you needed and not because he wanted to? I think that that was the case. He would have moved on by now because it did not take too terribly long for me to learn that just because you did not share a room with me anymore did not mean that... You said stopped believing in. It is a awful long time to carry on a ruse for no reason. I just know that I cannot trust him. I cannot feel it in my heart. I do not ask you to trust him. I ask you to trust me. I trust you. Does I say the same I'm worried about? Even if you are correct and none of it matters, do you really think that he will hurt me? That, that he would harm me in some way? Is he not still a brother of the faith? Yes. I can wish to protect you in ways other than harm. You have always protected me in every way. That is what the people do not understand. You are not just my brother. You are my protector and my mentor and my hero. And I am lost without you. I'm sorry. Yes. It has to be this way. I know, but all I can think about every day is getting this done so I can come home. Perhaps that is why. The shadow, she she has to be like Void in some ways because she cannot care too much and still do her job. But I am not like her. I am too much like Mama. I wish I could say that everything would be all right and that things will go back to the way they were. 
they will never go back. They cannot. The back butterfly has, she has shown me things and told me things. I spent much time with her in the first days and nothing will ever be the same as it once was. The world is forever changed by this. Now it is just a matter of whether it survives or not. And that is a very heavy burden. And the only ease that she could give me for it was that if I fell and I fall, it will pass to another one of you, most likely to you, because it is somehow tied to our past. You share the same past as me. Then I curse the day that that might come. But that does not make me feel much better. I guess, if anything, it makes me more determined to make sure you should not have to carry the party. You need to survive. I am trying to survive. I am doing okay, but there are so many things that worry my mind. And so many of them I am not even allowed to speak of. I cannot share them, and it makes them all the heavier. Why? What do you... What can you not share? There are things about being the shadow that you do not know until after you sign up. Things that are for the shadow to know and nobody else. That is the way the first shadow wrote it. And I have no reason to believe that uh, he did not speak the truth about it. And before, they did not cause me much concern. But now, with the state things are in, with the desperation that people are facing and the choices that they're having to be made, they have become a much more pressing concern. And so I wake up every day and I try to be happy and I do it with the knowledge that it may be this very day the shadow is called upon to fulfill her mandates. And when that day comes, it will be the death of Nisa. She will not be able to exist with the shadow any longer. And this is something you cannot share even with me. I want to share it with you. I want to share it with you more than anybody. What is said on, on the, the writings, the chronicles of the shadow, that this is the mandate and that, that the other seven must not know. I see. Which means I cannot even discuss it with any of my acolytes because they may be the next in line. Perhaps then these others you travel with? I do not know. They are... They are nice people. I know they are nice people. But even so, they, they have been given their own directions by their gods and yet they do not seem to hold the gods in much uh, reverence. And so I am, I guess, apprehensive to share with them such a deep knowledge that uh, they may have no regard for. I see. I have thought maybe I could talk to Ekron, but he carries so many of his own burdens. I do not want to put more onto him. The hunter. Yes, he is a nice man. Yeah, he, uh, he is probably about the age Mama would be if she were still alive. Maybe a little older, but a very nice man. And the only other girl I have seen 
But that is not true. I saw one other lady briefly, but uh, she did not seem quite so connected, if you know what I mean. Probably lived all her life on the other side. Sometimes, sometimes I am tempted to tell Void just because he is my best friend, but uh, I know better, so I refrain. But it bothers me. It is a thing that I do not, I do not necessarily agree that it should be kept secret. I am simply obeying. I imagine there must be a reason. Perhaps. That is the hard thing about the Chronicles. You do not know what is written down because the back butterfly says it's a soul and what is written down because it is the opinion of the ones who came before. There is no way to know. You have a connection with her. Why not ask? I suppose sometimes I feel like I ask too much of her already. It is supposed to be I that serves her, not the other way around. I suppose. And I am not the only one with one of these secret mandates. What do you mean? I mean there is another that has one. I have not figured out completely who it is. I do not uh, believe it to be you or to it freedom. And I do not believe at this point that it could be the silence or serenity. So it would be either tranquility or void. And what is this? How do you know of it? Because it is said in the shadows of the Chronicle that should the shadow ever go astray and act with outside the outside the will of the black butterfly that uh, there is another member of the seven who is to watch her uh, or him and if that person becomes corrupt it is their job to put the shadow down I see why do you think I have always been so diligent in guarding myself against the outside influence I did not know there was such a dark side to us. I suppose you cannot have a corrupt assassin running around on the loose, now can you? I suppose not. And at the end of the day, that is what I am meant to be, is it not? Yes, but you would not be corrupt. I would not think so. I do not like to even have to fight with people. It is not in my nature to harm a person. Not ever. But uh, being the shadow is in direct conflict with my nature. And I don't, I, I, I would like to think I am strong enough that I do not ever have to worry about it. But I do not yet know what it is to kill a man. I do not know what effect that will have on me. But the way things are going, it feels like it will not be too long before I have to find out. I will pray for every moment you have that you do not. I am not strong like you and Papa. I am, as Grandmama likes to say, I am gentle like Mama. We each have our paths. It just makes me wonder sometimes why I was chosen for this one. Who can say? Perhaps the black butterfly herself? But 
And maybe silence. I guess the whites don't matter so much right now, though. I do not suppose. But now what matters is that the world is in danger. My job is to protect those who are here. Your job is to fix it. I am trying. But all I know at this point is that I have to find something that uh, is connected to my past. It is. I do not even know what it is. It is a idol of some kind, a, a artifact, a, a representation of the black butterfly. But the, the key to finding it lies somewhere in my past. And I do not know where. I do not remember ever seeing or hearing of such a thing. I cannot say. I can think of nothing either. In the past, it is the past is a very painful world to travel without you. I'm sorry. So I can only hope and pray that uh, somehow I come out the other side of it stronger than I went in. I'm sure you will. But I I talk too much of things that are are bad and I should not, I do not want to worry you. It's fine. We have not spoken in some time. It has been very long time and I did not even get to say goodbye to you. But maybe that is because she knew I could not. Maybe. You begin to feel a pull. Like your body isn't meant to be here anymore. I think I have to leave. But you just come here. Let's let us go somewhere. Can you not feel it? Something is pulling on me. No. What are you talking about? Something is pulling me back. Bring you back. Pulling you back where? Wherever I was before, I suppose. I do not even know how I got here. I was simply sleeping. Sleeping, but you're here. And he, like, goes to reach for you as you had touched earlier. And his hand just passes through you. And you start to fade. Nisa. I think as she fades out, she will call out to him and she will tell him to uh, find her at the altar and how much ever time it's probably going to take to, like, I don't know, but she would probably know about how long it's going to take her to arrive there. Okay. So she would call out and tell him to meet her there in so many weeks' time. You will barely hear as he says, I'll find you. And I think she'll just kind of brace herself because she doesn't know where she's going to be flung to next. You will be waking up. Hi there, my name's Don. I'm a proud patron of this podcast you just listened to. I'd like to take a moment to talk about some of the projects that I work on. When I'm not listening to Tracy, Sean, and the rest of the gang tell wonderful stories using the Pathfinder rules, I like to make podcasts of my own. I'm the GM in the Starfinder homebrew adventure Hexgrid Heroes. On the other side of the GM screen, I play Cory in Pokemon Seicho and Peleus in Ashes and Allomancy. I also like to sit around and talk with my friends about how horror movies can be used in a haunted house setting, and for that, check out Fountain of Fear. All of these podcasts can be found at hexgridheroes.com. 
Hey everyone, thank you for listening to this episode. I'm Brian. I run Action Forge, a tabletop RPG YouTube channel where we dive into all sorts of topics. If you want to learn more, head over there and check it out. Also, if you want updates on all my various projects and some awesome tabletop RPG memes, go ahead and check me out over at Twitter where I'm at Action Forge. Good day. This is Dick Horney, inviting you to explore the world of Dustress a unique homebrew setting within an Elder's Dream Games universe. Come along as the Hive Queen leads a gambler. Cowboy motherfucker with six shooter. I ain't never moved cattle in my life. I am a gambler. A Native American. He he doesn't have a lifetime of eating processed food, so he probably is actually quite regular. And a Detroit teenager. Okay, so we're rolling into elves, aliens, and troll dolls. Through discovery of new magical abilities, struggle with the reality of unknown gods, and maybe learn a little bit about themselves along the way. Visit Eldritch Dream and Duster's Podcast on Twitter for details. They took to the stars and became stars. So it says here you're from another galaxy? Yeah, Milky Way. I don't think I'm ever going to get used to seeing that. A band that influenced entire galaxies. Sector 8, let's make some... Until their inevitable downfall. Fuck you, and fuck you too, Switzerland. Thanks for having my fucking back. Now, 20 years later, they find themselves unpleasantly reunited. James, what are you doing here? We're an entire motherfucking galaxy, and you show up on this place. In a place where things are not what they expected. One of our staff members just happened to go missing this morning, and uh, I kind of had... Travis? I understand. Why the uh, fuck do you have a guitar? LCP D&D presents Odyssey, a musical actual play adventure set in space using the Savage World system. Listen in by searching for LCP D&D on your favorite podcast platform or find us at lcpdnd.com. Welcome, Forsaken Travelers. Do you like sci-fi fantasy atmosphere? Do you like bad, scary movies, cult classics, and more? The Crow, Beetlejuice, Frankenstein? What about dad jokes? We have those, too. Tune in to the podcast for the untimely dead every other Sunday on your favorite podcast app. We'll see you there. You can also join us in the high. If you would like to become a patron, check us out on patreon.com forward slash Eldritch Dream. Also, if you like the show, give us a review on iTunes. You can also find us in the hive. That's our Discord. Link in the description below. You can also find a link to our merch on sonerdware.com. And find us on Twitter at Eldritch Dream, at Eterna P, and at Dustress Podcast. And until next time, everybody, may the Elder Gods haunt your dreams.